Randy's is, is personal. You know, every t- it's intimate interactions with customers. Really fun um, and ever-changing wine program. Um, and, you know, we're opening bottles left, right and centre for, for customers and, and doing the hand-sell things. Very, very cool. And just chatting to people. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. There's been a few instances on Deep in the Weeds where we've discussed the wave of hospitality venues blurring the lines between restaurant and wine bar. They've become a real feature of the culinary landscape, but there are some that were the driving force behind that shift and helped set the precedent for others to follow. Andy Emerson is the co-owner of Bar Elvina and newly opened Brandy's Wine Bar. Andy, how are you? I'm great, mate. Thanks so much for having me on. It's good to get you on the show. You've um, you've really carved a career of blurring that line between restaurants and bars with many venues. What, what was the driving force there to head in that direction? Yeah, I mean, um, I guess initially we uh, we opened the Passage Bar in Darlinghurst many many moons ago, which was basically a nightclub serving decent food and booze and. Um, well, we were passionate about live music and entertainment and trading late and cocktails, but we're also, you know, super passionate about food um, with my partner then, uh, Ed Loveday. Um, and we were constantly, you know, partying, having a good time, running this nightclub and then dining on our days off at great restaurants around Sydney. These days, um, you're, you find yourself um, not in northern Sydney. Um, but, you know, most of your venues were in the CBD. Why are you up in sort of the region of Avalon these days? Yeah, mate, we, I, I, I always ran and had restaurants and bars um, around um, Darlinghurst, you know, Potts Point and whatnot, and, and then more recently in the city. But, yeah, my wife's actually from Avalon, and we would come up here on weekends with the kids and, you know, stay for a week or stay for a couple of weeks, and it just became a super attractive lifestyle. Um, the rat race in the city was pretty pretty mental. I've got two young kids, so yeah, we just made we made the shift up here about four years ago, and I was still running a venue in in the city, and and that was becoming pretty tiring. So I left that business, and um, yeah, I was on the hunt for a just a small little you know space where I could open a new a new venue, kind of a wine bar. But um, we ended up with Bar Alvina. Uh, it was about 120 seats, um, and we're two years into that. You opened that in 2020, which was a pretty um, challenging year for, for everyone. And well, did you have to approach it differently being out of the CBD, given that it was, um, you know, just a, such a different offering? Yeah, I mean, we, we opened in November um, two years ago, actually, crazy enough, to the same day we opened bar, um, Randy's Wine Bar. I was uh, freaking out in the afternoon getting ready to open and I looked down at my phone, I could see a photo memory saying, this day two years ago you opened Bar Alvina, which was was a trip out, but um, it was pretty nice actually. But um, yeah, Alvina, um, yeah, mate, we actually opened four weeks before the Avalon cluster um, popped up. If you remember, we were, the Avalon crew were, just, were trapped up here in our own little um, you know, postcode for a good I think it was eight weeks. Um, so that was a fun wild ride. We had four amazing weeks of trade. And then as a brand new business, we were shut for eight weeks. So we just bunkered down and, and, and did what we could. Did you have to treat, bar, bar COVID aside, did you have to treat the offering and, and what you're doing differently 
compared to those CBD venues that you had? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we kind of treated it um, in a very similar way in terms of service and, and, and style of food and beverage. Um, we were a little concerned. Um, you know, we thought the Avalon community might be a little bit more conservative, but they, they lapped it up. I mean, they lapped up the, you know, the level of service and the quality of food and drinks, um, which, you know, from the get-go we were, we were pumping. Um, and, you know, in that period, in the last two years, there's been that huge influx of kind of city folk moving to the beaches and hunting for, for great venues um, like they're used to, um, having lived in the city or around kind of busy, busy suburbs. Um, so, mate, yeah, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't bend any rules or change anything. We just, we just kind of did what we, we love and yeah, people lapped it up. Um, they just flocked, flocked to Relvina, which was a really fun period. Take us back to when you were young. Where did you grow up and what sort of role did food play in your family? Uh, yeah, so I, I grew up in, um, in Sydney's inner west and I, I, um, I studied at Sydney Uni, studied marine science, which was, which was really fun. And I, I always loved sciences um, all the way through school. But uh, on the weekends, I was pulling beers at different pubs and, and whatnot in the city, um, you know, a couple of shifts a week and those a couple of shifts a week end up being three shifts a week to full time. And when I finished my degree, the company I was working for offered me uh, full time work, and I just didn't look back. I was kind of sucked straight into the hospitality vortex, and just loved it. I loved the you know everything about it, um, and I never I never picked up my university degree um, <laughs> at all. Well, I want to go back to that degree because these days with Bar Elvina and Randy's, which we'll come to, seafood features predominantly well tell us about that sort of your fascination with marine science mate i just i have from a young age been studying fish um passionate fisherman um i'm i'm sitting on a boat right now bobbing around in um pit water i did, went fishing this morning um with a buddy of mine um but i just everything about it I, I i love so it was kind of fortuitous to to marry the two in terms of um you know running a venue selling great seafood uh, my business partner, Jesse McTavish, is a you know, very passionate um, seafood chef. And we kind of, we actually met, um, we got introduced by, by mutual friends and um, we we're both doing some consulting. And within a week of meeting each other, we were on a road trip down to Victoria um, through the lakes and down the coast, eating oysters, fishing all the way to, to, um, to end up arriving in Melbourne. Um, on a journey of just catching up and getting to know each other. Um, and ever since that kind of trip, um, the concept for, of food for Bar Alvina was always based around seafood, finding the best, eating the best, and, and you know, his, his treatment of um, all of his raw fish and, you know, the care and passion of, you know, out of all the dishes he produces is, is pretty special. And, yeah, we, we, we still jam every week on that. We still, get, we still get excited about the fish deliveries that roll in. You know, we always taste an oyster before it comes off the truck, basically, making sure the product is good. And, yeah, to that day, it just kind of has remained. And that's kind of the focal point and the backbone of both the businesses. You mentioned early on how you steered away from your degree and got full-time work uh, in in bars. You ended up at a, quite a young age being general manager of one of Sydney's most iconic hotels. Tell us about that period. Yeah, I mean, I was actually – I was bartending I was, I was bar at Cargo Bar, um, one of Sydney's, you know, institutions in the early 2000s for Keystone Group and um, having a good time, ended up managing the place and 
I got a bit bored. I was living in Paddington at the time and I hit the, uh, the general manager up and said, I'm kind of looking for a change. And they said to me, there's a role in, in um, Paddington at the Unicorn Hotel coming up in a couple of months. Would you be interested? And I said, yep, sign me up. It took me up there and they said, oh, it's actually the licensee and general manager role. And I, was, I think I was freshly 24 years old. And I just, uh, yeah, jumped at it. And um, I lived literally a block away from the pub. And, you know, we ran the pub for, for four years and uh, some really cool, you know, fun things, particularly at that age. And I, I just learned a lot. It's a super busy venue at that stage. Do you have any stories um, that you can share from from that, that time, from, from that venue? Oh, there was just there was just a lot going on. It was a classic pub, so we had comedy on Monday nights and trivia and all those sorts of things, and then DJs and it was a late license, I think, three AM um, that at the pub. So it used to turn into a bit of a nightclub. So it was kind of a morphing business, um, selling you know pizzas during the day, and then it was basically a nightclub at two o'clock in the morning on a Sunday morning. Uh, it was pretty rough and ready. I remember it was pretty like it was Paddington at that stage after the big sporting events and whatnot would just turn into an absolute bloodbath. So I was constantly at St Vincent's Hospital. You know, I was you know de- dealing with security and um, a lot of troublemakers. And but yeah, there was lots of fun things. The comedy was kind of cool. Like you'd get people like Arj Barker and a few other people. They'd just roll in last minute and come up to me and say, mate, mind if I jump up for a, for a second? I'm like, yeah, mate, stage is yours, dude. So that was kind of fun. That was that was cool. You mentioned The Passage, which is the first business you opened with uh, Ed Loveday. How, how did that come about? Yeah, well, um, Ed was working with um, myself at um, The Unicorn. Um, I think I was he was one of the managers. It was just basically himself and, um, and, and I was just running it with him. And we were working together um, side by side for, for a good couple of years and we kind of realised that we'd formed a pretty pretty good friendship and we started to talk about doing something ourselves. And only naturally um, we started looking for sites, we started putting together a really basic concept. Like we, kind of, we kind of pretty much had no idea what we were doing, but we knew that we wanted to create something with great music and food and, and to work together. So we signed a lease um, for the old Lotel hotel site on Victoria Street in Darlinghurst, which was a bit of a notor- notorious um, property in, its, in itself. Um, I think it ran in the uh, like late 90s as a pretty, you know, um, colourful hotel slash nightclub by a few funny, uh, you know, a few identities. But at that stage, it had closed down, so we ended up leasing it. Um, and launched it pretty quickly and, and straight away it was it was good fun and I know there's a lot of people particularly in Sydney who've spent many 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 hours yeah. at the passage bar having a good time so so that was fun you had joined forces with um, three other people to create Acme back in uh, 2015 which kind of triggered that sort of start in the that sort of wine bar meets restaurant sort of feel that you created with many venues. How, how did that come about? Yeah, I mean, well, Cam, Cam Fairbairn was working with us at the Unicorn and he came across to the, to the passage as well. And I was living with Cam at the time too. So we were great mates. And, and Ed and I would always, you know, on our days off, as I said, kind of head out restaurants, lunches, we're, you know, we were passionate about food and we knew that our food wasn't, was okay at the passage, but it wasn't, wasn't amazing so we, we we kind of hitched a plan to to create a smaller more intimate space really based around good food 
and he was good mates with Mitch, Mitch Orr, and, and we ended up all catching up and, you know, just talking, talking and chatting about trying to pull something together. And we all agreed to, to join forces and all of a sudden we're super pumped and, and starting to look at sites. And we looked and looked and looked and six months later, we you know, we negotiated on three or four properties and we just couldn't settle on the, on the, on the right place until we found the, the, the site on Bayswater Road. Um, but that had no liquor license. So we signed the lease based on not having a liquor license and then waited, I think it was a good six months before before we could open. Yeah, so in the meantime, we were all doing our own little things and we had the passage and, and um, yeah, I can't remember the date we actually launched, but yeah, Acme was, was a wild ride, that's for sure. What was special about Acme for you? Uh, I just, I was just, you know, I mean, it was a 69-seat space and we kind of, we tried to keep it as, as quiet as possible before we opened the doors, but um, people were sniffing around. And no, no, no promo. We just swung those doors open, and, and by that stage, like we had a good, good group of mates all around us, every one of us. So we just, we just kind of launched straight into doing 150 covers a night, five nights a week for, so you know, it was crazy. So it was good fun. You mentioned uh, Mitch Orr, and he's done many things um, since that time. What, what was he like to work with? Mate, he's a super talented guy. Um, yeah, very creative and. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we, uh, every, every bit of food that came out of the kitchen was, was pretty phenomenal and the quality of product was, was really special. Um, and we always got on really well, um, until probably, well, I ended up leaving about two years into the business, um, and the guys bought me out and I, I ended up moving on. Um, at that, that stage I'd just got married, my wife was pregnant and all my partners there were, were all single and, and pumping it out. So I just made the call. It was massive weeks and massive hours, and, yeah, it was just my time to go. You made the decision to sort of flip the passage and, um, and work with um, Annalise Gregory um, with Barb Rosé. Um, do you have any stories of, of what that was like, ch- turning that venue into um, that sort of restaurant bar? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the sad thing about the Passage, the Passage was a great business, um, but lockout laws were just, um, yeah. just just destroyed us completely. Like, we were we were operating for six years in a really healthy business, um, but within that decision to, to the, you know, the the, um, the decision to, to introduce the lockout laws was really swift and just caught us by surprise, and within four months, we were, we were flailing. Um, I think the cross, there were some statistics about it, you know, the cross went from having 25,000 people a night through the cross to 5,000 people a night through the cross. So every man and his dog were, were fighting for, for, you know, those 5,000 people and our revenue just dropped. So we had, we, we, we had no alternative. We, were, we, were, we had to close. Um, and we had to hitch the plan. Um, Annalise Gregory was working at Acme at the time and, you know, Acme was, was pumping and we all agreed that, you know, converting the nightclub space, you know, 120-seat uh, nightclub space into a into a, a late-night wine bar serving great food would be a good idea. Um, but sadly, I mean, it, it, went, it was a great business, but it just um, had the same problems, a high rent and just lack of foot traffic, unfortunately, which was the death of um, the death of Barbara's A. But in that time, it was 
it was fucking awesome, good fun, but we just couldn't make it work. The numbers just didn't stack up. Uh, you moved to the other side of town with a multi-level venue, Prince of York, a few years later. Um, tell us a little bit about that that venue. What was that like? Yeah, I mean, uh, after I kind of um, finished up with Acme and, and Barbrose, I went into consulting for a couple of years, um, creating concepts for the hotel industry, uh, food and beverage concepts, which was really fun, nine to five and, and um, you know, good money and, and nice and, and settled. Um, but I got a bit bored of that and really missed the, the opportunity to run a venue. And then I got a call from a good friend of mine, Paul Schult, who um, had signed a lease on York Street and um, looking for some help to open this big venue. But it was it was huge. It was, you know, I think it was 350 seats, three levels. And I kind of, you know, it was, it was daunting, but I, you know, I, I felt like I was up to the challenge. So I ended up pulling together a really great team. Um, Ed Loveday came on board, um, Reese Griffiths and a few others. And we, we launched, uh, we launched in November. Um, it was about sadly about four months before the initial onslaught of COVID. Um, but may we, we had a lot of, I mean, we, we, those four months were out of control and, and almost seems like a series of bad, bit of bad luck, but yeah, that a 350-seat venue in the CBD all underground during a COVID lockdown was was really a bad uh, recipe. Tell us a little bit about the day-to-day runnings of, of your role in venues. You've always sort of um, searched for great chefing talent uh, in that side of things and look, looked after the business as such, but what's, what's your day-to-day? Um, yeah, I mean, I really deal with all front of house um, bits and pieces, so mainly dealing with staff, to be honest. HR is the, the biggest role in, in any of the businesses that I've ever had. Um, hiring, uh, rostering, I get a massive kick out of um, – a restaurant or bar service to running in complete harmony. Um, you know, whenever everything is uh, lined up perfectly, everyone's performing, the business is busy um, and everyone's just having a great time. So that's kind of my role. I, I run that front of house element of the business um, from staffing to music, to lighting, to sound, to volumes, to temperature, all that sort of stuff is kind of where I get my rocks off constantly playing with lighting and dimmers and sound and just trying to create the ultimate environment for people to have fun um, and people laugh at me about that because I'm constantly just adjusting little things. And But it's so important and um, I really get off on it. What, what is the art of great hospitality? What makes that great environment that you're constantly trying to uh, create? I think it's just just understanding about what people want, um, getting in the heads of customers. Um, you know, these people are dressed up. It's a Friday night. They're walking in the front door. I feel like I've got a good grasp of, you know, their desires in terms of food and drink and sound and music and and making people comfortable and just judging people as they come through the door about what tables they would like to be seated at and where they'd like to be seated and how they like to be served and adjusting my service style to each and every each 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 individual. At the top of the show, you um, briefly mentioned that Randy's Wine Bar opened two years to the day after Bar Elvina. How did how did Randy's come about? Yeah, that was pretty crazy. I mean, I, I we kind of lost track of time and, and, and whatnot. But yeah, as I said to you before, I, I looked down at my phone at one stage and there was a photo memory of me opening Bar Elvina. Um, and it just turns out it was exactly the same day we opened Randy's Wine, which is crazy and, and fun. Um, 
But yeah, so so Randy's Wine, we, we actually opened a sandwich bar called Sandy's in, in Avalon about 12 months ago with the concept of doing sandwiches by day and then a wine bar at night, um, which was in our heads the, you know, the you know, fun concept. We'd, we'd actually taken over a sh- open a, over an, we'd actually taken over a shop below Bar Alvina during lockdown and <laughs> flogged our wares down there, take away food and whatnot. And in the end, we just asked the landlord if we could keep the space um, and convert it into this sandwich shop, which we did. And we had a good time, but we it took us 11 months for our liquor license to be approved um, in that space. And in that time, the sandwich concept just wasn't working financially. So we shelved that. And then quickly turned around this this wine bar space, um, and then our liquor license was approved about three weeks ago, and within four days we we're open. Tell us a bit about the the offering that you have there. Yeah, I mean it's a beautiful space. Um, when we did the sandwich um, shop fit out, you know we used stunning kind of materials, beautiful pink marble, and and um, just the pretty pretty nice swish style sandwich shop really. So the bones were there. Um, and we ended up with a liquor license with 13 seats inside and 13 seats outside. And the fridges, the cabinets, the sandwich cabinets are actually like the perfect um, oyster and sashimi cabinets. So they're all glass with different la- levels. So we can basically sit all of our cold lighter in one of the sandwich um, refri- uh, fridges. And then our bar is actually one of the other fridges, just an open top bain-marie holding all of our prep and all of our chilled wines. Um, so the turnaround was, was was easy and swift, and and again, being like extremely lucky, like, I mean, just really grateful. Like the the locals have been piling in since since day one. So I think we're on to week weekend week from week four this week. So yeah, it's been a it's been a good journey and a good ride, and nice to make some money after being clo- closed for a few months. So. Many people have had a turbulent time in the last couple of years, but particularly the venues you've been involved in, one closing and then opening during COVID and and being sort of out of the CBD now. Do you approach your restaurants and your craft a little bit differently after this sort of last couple of years? I think, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've definitely um, learnt a lot and have definitely made mistakes as well but, and just trying to learn from those those mistakes. My wife is usually a pretty good indicator because <laughs> she, deals, she deals with all the shit that I, that I end up um, having to deal with as well. So we kind of, we basically, we work together on it and, and I just, just very smart decisions and, and try and minimise risk as much as possible really. Um, I guess that's the way to do it and just trying not to put, yeah, too much at risk um, for the business. You mentioned uh, the bond that you formed with Jesse McTavish a few years ago over um, the love of seafood. What, what's he like to work with? Mate, he, I know you know Jesse well. He, he's, he's like a larger-than-life um, character and like an absolute larrikin and, and, and um, always lots of fun. We, we share a passion for fishing, seafood, and, and definitely a good few bottles of wine as well. So there's never really a dull moment at any point in time, um, morning, noon or night. Um, yeah, mate, he's just, just, just his passion and he's stoked for, for seafoods. Um, really big part of it. Um, and yeah, we, we bond a lot over that really, but just fun, um, understanding, uh, very compassionate fellow. And, 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 you know, we've both got young kids. He's got a young boy and we've got, I've got two, two young children as well. So just getting to know each other and understanding each other's, um, 
you know, wants and needs is really important and is, you know, we're ultra respectful of each other. Um, so we just share the load uh, in a big, big way for both businesses. This move that you uh, made to the uh, northern beaches of uh, Sydney, what's, what sort of impact has it had on, on you and everything that you do? Mate, it's been, it's been incredible. Um, I mean, I grew up in the inner west of Sydney, more west than inner. And, um, and I, you know, I, I dreamed of going to the beach every day and, and, you know, it was always a big family trip loading in the car and heading down to one of the, you know, southern Sydney beaches or up to the northern beaches. So uh, after spending so much time up here um, with some of Lauren's families um, living up here, um, we just ended up um, having, having, you know, having just had um, my daughter Frida uh, living, I think we were living in Paddington at the time, and just it was just a, the rat race was was rough and ready and fast, and I was working too long and too many hours, and we just I don't know what we're trying to do. We were, we were, we were trying to buy a house, we we're trying to do things, and we we're trying to. It was just so hard, and then we ended up just pulling the pin completely and just shifting up to up to Avalon um, out of the blue, and just that was our permanent move, and it was it was amazing. Um, Every day still feels like a beach holiday up here for me, to be honest. <laughs> um, I know Bar Elvina has become a real hub of the community. And um, how's Randy's going? And what are your plans for the next sort of couple of years? Yeah, I mean, it's the, the, Randy's is just an amazing creative outlet for for, um, for myself, Jesse, and Nick Musgrave, who's one of the other partners um, in the business. I mean, Elvina is is a, is a bit of a beast of a business. There's, it's you know. 120 seats, a lot of events and functions and, and big things like that. So in a big team, but Randy's is, is personal. You know, every t- it's intimate interactions with customers, really fun um, and ever-changing wine program. Um, and, you know, we're opening bottles left, right and centre for, for customers and, and doing the hand sell things, very, very cool. And just chatting to people, 26 people, like it, it, it's – you just you can sit down with people. You can you know really let them enjoy what we're offering, and, and the food's banging. Like it's 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 such you know Jesse's put a lot of work into the way dishes are presented. A lot of work into into the prep behind each and every dish and every ingredient that's in the dish. It may be simple on a plate, but you know it, it is an intricate intricate little dishes, um, and people are just loving it. Loud music is great. One thing I learned about you know, when we ran Acme was the fact that we used to crank crazy loud, brutal almost hip hop. Um, it was it was like deafening. And I just remember that we didn't change that for the entire time that I, I was there. And I, that was it was a really good model actually because the tempo would just be keep everyone kind of, you know, in a trance almost. So we, we, we've done the same here and, and just playing like, you know, loud drum and bass or loud, you know, it, it and it just – it just, I don't know, it's like the customers are all in a trance and it, ha- having a good time, having a great time. But, um, yeah, so that's, that's just fun. Music, you know, the intimacy of service, the great, great booze and, and just fun plates of food. Well, you're doing some amazing things up there uh, and it's an honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear your story. Uh, good luck with Randy's and uh, Baalvino. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Thanks, Huck. Mate, I appreciate it. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. 
Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.